In the hopelessness of our personal circumstances, God longs to bring heaven's hope to your earth. This message is the first in the series, Heaven to Earth. The message is entitled, The Hope of Heaven. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Hi, Pastor Dale here. We're so glad to have you this weekend and we're starting a new series called From Heaven to Earth. We're going to the Holy Land where the prophets spoke and where Jesus ministered, did his miracles. We'll see some great footage and some teachings from the Holy Land. But the most important thing that I want you to grasp as a part of this series is that God wants to, through this series, impart some heaven to your earth. This weekend, we're gonna be talking about the, the hope of heaven and how God brings the hope of heaven into our earth. So many times in life, by reason of the circumstances we're facing, the world that's around us, the challenges that we face, we tend to lose our hope. But God wants to reinfuse us with a hope that comes from heaven. Let's get, get ready to receive from God's word today and let's get ready to grab hold of some hope for our lives as we take this trip back into the Holy Land. I would invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of 1 Kings chapter 18. Let me give you a little bit of history. We're talking about the God of miracles and I wanna describe in a few moments for you um, really how to prepare yourself or maybe some steps to take to be prepared for or to open your life up to miracles. Obviously miracles are things that only God can do and we cannot force the hand of God to have miracles at work in our life, but there's certain things that we can do that will set us up for God to work and there's steps that we can take. And I wanna talk about that a bit, but let me give you a little bit of the background uh, of the place that we are today. We're in Mount Carmel. It's a place where Elijah, uh, again, as we said earlier, uh, dealt with the prophets of Baal. And uh, to understand this, you need to go back in history a bit. It's the time of the kings and there's a king of the Northern Kingdom by the name of Ahab. And of course, Ahab had married uh, his wife uh, named, anybody remember the name? Jezebel, exactly right. And they were extremely wicked. In fact, the Bible says that uh, no one had been as wicked as Ahab and Jezebel. They were extremely wicked people and they were very much into idolatry and all kind of wickedness. It's hard to even describe uh, the wickedness that went along with the worship of Baal and some of the other worship of other gods, but just uh, unspeakable acts that they would do and as a part of their worship. We'll talk more about that when we get to Megiddo and, and some of the things that the Canaanites would do there at an altar that I'll show you that will, that will just uh, be, be sort of uh, heartbreaking for you. But here's Ahab and Jezebel, and they brought Israel under the influence of Baal, and it's a terrible time in history. And God raised up a prophet by the name of Elijah. Isn't it wonderful to know that God never deserts people? In the midst of the toughest times and people turning away, God always shows up with somebody on the scene to help, okay? And that's a great thing. And so Elijah was raised up uh, for such a time as that, as a prophet of God. And of course, he now is gonna issue in some judgment and bring people back to their place of worship of God. And the way it starts is that Elijah prophesies, you can read about this in 1 Kings chapter 17, he prophesies a, a drought, a famine in the land. And when he prophesies this drought or famine, he goes and he hides by a brook uh, because obviously there's no food and the ravens come and feed him. And remember that story, right? The ravens feed him by the brook. Then the brook dries up and he goes to a place called Zarephath and a widow feeds him there. And he's hiding because he's absolutely sure that Ahab and Jezebel are wanting to 
kill him because he's the one that has proclaimed this uh, pr prophetic uh, drought upon the nation. And so Ahab was looking for him. Jezebel wanted to kill him. Jezebel was killing all the Lord's prophets during this time. And so it was a very dangerous time to be a prophet, a very dangerous time to be someone that was following Jehovah God. With that being said, finally, uh, God speaks to Elijah and says, I want you to go and present yourself to King Ahab. Uh, the time for the drought has come. The time for really judgment and decision has come. And now we'll pick up the story with that little bit of background. Everybody understand the background, a bit of the history there? Let's pick up the story in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse number 17. I'll just start there. We'll read a number of verses here that will set the stage for what I want to talk to you about in just a couple of moments. Verse 17, then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said to him, is that you, O troubler of Israel? So why did he call him a troubler of Israel? Because he thought Elijah was responsible for the drought. He'd prophesied about it. And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals. Now therefore send and gather, notice this, send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel. Where are we right now? Okay, you got that, all right? So gather, send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of Baal and all the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Jezebel was feeding all these prophets of Baal and Asherah and taking care of them and sustaining them during this time because again, remember it was a time of famine. So she was making sure Baal worship and Asherah worship was continuing. Verse 20, so Ahab, so Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. So notice that Ahab sent for all the children of Israel from all the different tribes and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. So that's where we talked about a moment ago when we were up on the top and we were looking out at the panoramic view. You can again imagine all all the nation, all the tribes of Israel coming and gathering in that gathering to watch what was about to happen on the top of this mountain where we are right now, Mount Carmel. And Elijah came to all the people and said, how long, now this is first, how long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him, but if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him, not a word. Think about how sad that was. Elijah says, okay, here we are. Here's an opportunity for you to make a choice. If, if God is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. And nobody said anything. Nobody said, okay, we'll follow. Everybody's silent. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Therefore, let them, gather, let them give us two bulls and let them choose one bull for themselves, cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood, and, but put no fire under it. Then you call on the name of your gods and I will call on the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire, he is God. So all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. So Elijah said, give us two bulls. We're gonna put them on an altar, but there's not gonna be any fire there. And all these prophets of Baal, you can call on your God and I'm gonna call on my God, the Lord God. And whoever answers with fire, he's going to prove that indeed he's the real God. And so it's going to be a major test right now. Of course, Elijah's really stepping out, is he not? Okay, stepping out. I'll talk more about that in a moment. So they lay it out. Everybody said, that's a great idea. We'll see who answers by fire. Now, Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one bull for yourself as choose whichever one you want and prepare it first for you are many and call in the name of your God, but put no fire under it. So they took the bull which was given them and they prepared it and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, no one answered. 
Then they leaped about the altar which they had made. So they're crying out from early morning to noon, O Baal, hear us, O Baal, hear us. No answer, no response, nothing's happening. They start leaping around the altar, trying to make something happen, trying to work something up, hoping that Baal's gonna answer in some way. Of course, he did not. And so, and so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, cry aloud, for if he is a god, either he is meditating, or he's busy, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he is sleeping and must be awakened. So he's really mocking them. He says, what's going on with your God? Maybe he's sleeping. He's on vacation. What's going on here? Okay. So they cried aloud and cut themselves as was their custom. So again, this was some of the customs that went along with this kind of worship uh, with knives and lances until the blood gushed out of them. Can you just imagine the picture right here in this area where we are? And it goes on to say, And when midday was passed, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, but there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. So come on, draw up as close as you can. Come near to me. So all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took 12 stones, of course, representing what? 12 tribes of Israel, okay? 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. Then with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two seahs of seed. And he put the wood in order, cut the bull in pieces, and laid it on the wood and said, Fill four water pots with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. Then he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. So the water ran all around the altar and he also filled the, tr and, and, it, and he also filled the trench with water. Now, again, you, you're calling, whenever, have you ever made a fire before? You don't wet your wood before you try to start a fire, okay? You just don't do that, okay? And so what Elijah's doing, he's gonna show that this is no trick. There's not magic happening here. We're gonna make sure that this is a, a real moment for God to show up in this situation. Verse 36, and it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that the Lord, that Elijah, the prophet came near and said, let Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jack, Jacob, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and I am your servant and I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their backs, hearts back to you again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust. I don't know about you, I've never seen dust burn. How about you? And it licked up the water that was in the trenches. Now, now, when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal, do not let, them, let, let one of them escape. So they seized them and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and executed them there. Isn't it interesting that all the people who didn't want to say anything to begin with, now they've got something to say, right? Because they have seen a miracle, okay? They've seen a miracle. A miracle has happened. And the miracle happened because of one man, Elijah. Okay. And I want to just describe for you just briefly today what, what needs to be in place in our lives for miracles. Anybody have a need for a miracle in your life? Anybody? None of you? Okay. How about all of us, right? There's certain things that you need God to show up and do things for you that only God can do. And so we need those things in our lives that God shows up with fire and he does something that only God can do. We need the fire of God at work in the circumstances of our life. And for that fire to happen, we've got to learn something from Elijah. What do we learn from Elijah? I'm gonna give you three things to remember from Elijah. Number one, you cannot let your problems intimidate you. Elijah was not intimidated by the situation. 
I'll talk more about that when we get to the Valley of Elah and David and Goliath. But one of the first things the devil will do to you, to you and against you when you're trying to face an obstacle where you need a miracle, he will try to intimidate you and try to tell you, no, it can never happen in your life. It will never be possible. And so the, the, the enemy is the chief intimidator. He operates in fear. And I can only imagine the kind of potential intimidation that Elijah must have felt. He's one, and there are 450 prophets of Baal, plus 400 other prophets of Asherah. He's only one against 850 false prophets. And it could have, could have been very easy for him to back down and say, you know what, I'm not going to take a stand in this situation. But instead he did. So in, intimidation is something you're going to have to expect in your spiritual journey. The devil will do everything to intimidate you, to back you, up and to push your faith away and tell you, you know what, that can't happen to you. The second word is determination. When the enemy comes with intimidation, you stand up with determination, okay? When the enemy tries to intimidate you, what did Elijah do? Elijah said, no, I am determined in this situation to see God at work. And there's a determination that comes by faith that says, I'm going to grab hold of God. I'm going to grab hold of the promises of God. I'm going to grab hold of everything that God is. And I'm just going to hold on in this moment. That took some major determination because Elijah had to stand alone. And sometimes in the situations of your life, you may not have any support around you. You may not have anybody cheering you on. There may not be anyone in your family, anyone in the environment around you encouraging you to believe, but you've got to be like Elijah and say, you know what, there's some intimidation, but I'm going to have a determination to my faith. When there was a determination, here's the last word I'll give you. There was an impartation. God showed up and did something that only God can do. When God comes down from heaven in fire and consumes the sacrifice that has been wet with water and he licks up not only the, the, the stones, but the dust all around, and licks up the water in the trenches, you know that God has shown up. I will tell you something, that if you will not let intimidation drive you back, you'll stand up with determination, then there will come an impartation of God where God will show up and prove that He is God in your life. He is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above anything we can ask or imagine. Elijah proved that to be the case. He will, the, the same God, the same God that showed up and answered Elijah on this mountain is the same God that is at work in your life today. The same God that is at work in your life today. There's no different. He's the same God. And so you've got to remember that this, even Jesus said, uh, it was said of Jesus, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Our God is a God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. When he showed up for Elijah, he said, I will show up if you do not let the intimidation drive you back. You rise up with determination. I will show you my impartation and things can change in a moment when my fire comes down from heaven. I'm believing that we're going to make a stand wherever we've been intimidated by the enemy. We're going to say no to intimidation. A amen? Okay. We're going to say no, devil. We're not going to listen to your lies anymore. Okay. Because the devil's been lying to you long enough. Okay. And so you got to rise up and say, I'm not going to listen to the lies of the adversary. I'm determined to, to lay hold of God's promise and we'll see God work in incredible ways. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of John chapter 20. Now Mary stood outside the tomb. What was she doing? She was crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. 
At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you had carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, what did he say? Mary. Mary, one word, called her name. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me for I've not yet ascended to my father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he told them that he had said these things to her. There's a lot of things that we could talk about in this passage. Obviously, uh, Peter and John coming to the tomb and seeing that it's empty, and they're still trying to process all of this. They're not putting all the pieces of the puzzle together because uh, Jesus said, you just think about all the things that had happened in a matter of uh, three days. Jesus had been arrested. He'd been crucified. Uh, Peter had denied the Lord. He had all this stuff that was going on. So, I mean, if you, you think about all the different events, they're trying to process all of this. And now they're being told that the tomb is empty and they're trying to wrap their heads around it. And so they leave the tomb after seeing it empty. They're still trying to figure out what's happening. And Mary stays behind. And this is Mary Magdalene. Now, it's important to know who Mary Magdalene was. Mary Magdalene was a lady when she first met Jesus that Jesus had cast seven demons from her, okay? Think about that, that she had had a life that before she met Christ, can you imagine having seven demons living inside of you? So it's an incredibly horrible thing to think about. She just, she had a miserable life. I tell you, one of the things you know about the devil is that if he's in you, he robs hope from you, okay? And so she had no hope for her life. She had no sense of her future. But somehow, we don't know all the story of exactly how it happened, but somehow Mary from Magdala, Mary Magdalene, and of course Magdala with the city that we saw up in uh, Galilee, uh, she met Jesus and Jesus cast seven demons out of her and she began to be a part of that group of ladies that traveled around with the disciples uh, as they were a part of their journey and as Jesus was a part of his teaching and healing ministry and delivering ministry to many others. And so she'd spent a large part of that period of time, three, three and a half years with Jesus. And of course now she's seen him crucified and she is grieving over the fact that the one who gave her hope is now gone, okay? That's what she's thinking. Now, can you imagine what she's trying to put in her mind. Okay, what does this mean for me and my future, okay? I didn't have a future before I met him, okay? He helped me and then now he's gone. What is my future going to be from this time forward? And so she's struggling with all of this, trying to again, understand what it's going to mean to her life. And so there in that moment, in her doubt, in her, in her despair, in her hopelessness, she's there at the tomb and she encounters the angels that are there. And of course, we read the story about that. And she thinks that they're the gardener, which by the way, couldn't you imagine something like this as you needing a gardener, right? Okay. Uh, so that's why this place is such, uh, I think, provides such a great ambiance for the story of Jesus' uh, resurrection, uh, because it does provide the, the environment that we would often think of in terms of that. But then in this moment, she realizes because Jesus now speaks to her and does one thing initially. What does Jesus do? Jesus calls her name. Now think about that, okay? Jesus calls her name. And I can just imagine in the process that when she heard Jesus call her name there at the tomb that day, that it reminded her of the first time that Jesus had called her name and brought deliverance to her life. And the Bible says that immediately she knew who it was because no one can speak your name like Jesus can, okay? And I want you to know today that Jesus knows your name, okay? 
and Jesus wants to speak your name to you, to let you know that you are personally very important to him. And, and in that moment, in the recognition that this was the Lord and that he was risen from the grave, that he was alive. And in that moment, she was also given a mission. And the mission that she was given was to go and tell the disciples that he has risen from the grave. And so Mary comes back and, and preaches the gospel message because the full gospel message is not just that Jesus died. The full gospel message is not Jesus died. The full gospel message is that Jesus died, but he rose from the grave, all right? And so here is Mary, and she is the very first evangelist, okay? So women, never underestimate the power. Jesus calls you as much as he calls a man to be a part of the work of the kingdom of God. And so it's very important. In fact, the Bible says that in the last days, God will pour his spirit out upon all flesh, okay? His sons and his daughters shall prophesy. Oh, Old men will dream dreams and young men will see vision. I'm still trying to see vision. I don't want to get to the old man part, okay? Uh, so uh, as long as I'm seeing vision, hopefully it qualifies me to be a young man, all right? So uh, it's good, good to remember that. But remember that Mary was the first evangelist. And what message did she preach? He's alive. He is alive. Say it with me. He, he is alive. And that means, as Hebrews chapter 13 reminds us, verse number eight, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. How can Jesus be the same yesterday, today, and forevermore? Because before even he came, he was, okay? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So He was, He is, and He is to come. He is the one of the past, the one of the present, and the one of the future. And so we serve the omniscient, almighty, eternal God. Jesus did not become something when He came to earth. He already was. He just took on flesh, in His flesh, died on the cross, rose from the grave, proving He was the Son of God, rose back as we rose from the grave, ascended back to the right hand of God the Father, from which He will come back again. But right now in our lives today, He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And with this, to realize that as He speaks your name, He gives you a mission, He gives you a calling, He gives you a purpose to pursue in your life, and He also gives you the power, the same power that raised Christ from the dead dwells inside of you. John chapter 21, beginning in verse number three. What happened was this. Peter is still dealing with his guilt. He's still dealing with his shame. He still hasn't gotten over the fact that he disappointed the Lord when the Lord needed him the most. And so this was the decision that Peter made. He says, I am going out to fish. What did Jesus originally call Peter from? Fishing. Now what's Peter going back to do? fishing. See, he's going back to his past. See, when you lose your vision for your future, you always go back to your past. Anytime you lose a vision for your future, you go back to your past. Peter had lost his vision for his future. He, didn't, he thought, God could never, ever use me again. I've blown it so badly. I'm just going to go back and do the only thing I know how to do. I'm going to go back to where I was before I met Jesus because I have messed up so badly. And so he says, I am going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. That's the kind of influence that Peter had. So the other guy said, you're going to fish? We're going with you, okay? 
And so he led them all back to the Sea of Galilee. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. Where are we right now? On the shore. So Jesus would have been standing somewhere near here, okay? So Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the, disciples, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him because he had taken it off. He was out fishing and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the, the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, notice this, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. This is a very, very significant experience in the life of the apostle Peter because he is dealing with something very deep on the inside of him that probably all of us here have dealt with before or dealt with at some level. It's the emotion of shame. It is the emotion of guilt. It is the emotion of feeling absolutely worthless that God could never use me. And I would, I would venture to say that every person here at some point in time, you've looked at your life and you said, I don't, I'm not sure God could really use me. I don't feel like I have very much to offer. And Peter was at that place in his life, as we said a moment ago, I'm gonna go back and do what I did before. There is no future for me. But Jesus showed up in Peter's life when Peter was in his most, one of his most desperate moments. I am thankful that Jesus shows up when we're desperate, aren't you? Okay, that when you're in a desperate moment, you feel like that there's no hope for your future. Jesus is right there. Jesus came to them where they were. They were fishing, catching nothing. He said, throw your nets to the other side of the boat. And of course, that was reminiscent of the time that originally when Peter had been called by Jesus, he'd had a similar encounter like that with Christ. So all this stuff starts coming back into Peter's mind at that moment of what Jesus had done for him earlier. And so this is, was this moment that he realized this is the Lord. They come on to the shore, Jesus begins to bake a little breakfast for them, cook some breakfast for them, and then he has this one-on-one -on -one encounter with Peter. Can you imagine this? This is the same one that said to the, 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 the little girls out by the campfire, I don't know him, I don't know him, I don't know him. Three times he said, I don't even know him. One time the Bible says he even cursed and said, I don't know him. And now Peter, P Jesus is with Peter again, eyeball to eyeball, and he says, Peter, do you love me? 
Peter says, yes, I love you. Feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Peter says, oh, he's grieved because Jesus is asking him the third time, do you love me? And once again, Peter says, Lord, you know that I love you. And he says, feed my sheep. So what I want you to see, and I've taught this before, but I want you to be reminded of it, of it today. There in that moment, Jesus was bringing Peter back into full restitution. Our Jesus is a Jesus of forgiveness and a Jesus of restoration. Isn't that good to know? That when you blow it, when you've messed up and you feel like that there's no future for you, Jesus comes along and looks at you eyeball to eyeball and says, there still is a future for you. There still is a hope for you. There still is something that I want you to do. It's my prayer today that you receive something from this message that has an impartation to you and encouragement for your life, that you receive something from heaven today that will help you make it through whatever you're facing in your life. Maybe you're watching today and you've never received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. This is the thing that you need to do today. This is the next step that you need to take to invite Jesus to come in to your heart, your life. See, you can't really know God and have a relationship with God without knowing His Son and inviting His Son, Jesus Christ, into your life. Jesus is the way to God. And the way that you receive Jesus into your life is by simply opening your heart to Him with faith and inviting Him into your life today. So I want to invite you to pray with me right where you are. Uh, you can simply whisper this prayer, speak this prayer out loud. This can be your moment right now to receive Jesus in your life. Would you pray these words with me? Start by just declaring the name Jesus right where you are. Speak His name, Jesus. I know that I'm a sinner, and I'm so sorry for all the things I've done wrong. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you're the Savior of the world. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you're alive. Now pray these words, say, Jesus, come into my life right now. Forgive me for all of my sins. I turn my life over to you today in Jesus' name. Lord, thank you for each person that just prayed that prayer. Thank you for hearing them. I pray for each one of them now that you'll help them to grow in you, to follow, find you day by day, follow you, serve you with their whole hearts. We pray blessings on their life. In Jesus' name, amen. I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are, just simply bow your head with me and I'm gonna give you a prayer to pray and you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out and from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God and I promise you that he will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of his name. Say, Jesus, I know that, that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you in Jesus' name, amen. 
Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out, and you become a new creation. All things pass away. All things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. Your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. And you begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to church-redeemer.org slash a new you. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.